Well, we are in the last message of the Tool Time series. Uh, we've looked at balance, boundaries. Last week, we looked at communication, and we're going to look at another tool this week. These are all tools to help us with family, life, and relationships. Well, I was riding down the road with my son in my van, and my son, Nick, who's going to be 10, said, Hey, Dad, are we going to still be talking about communication this week? And I said, well, kind of. We're going to be talking about conflict resolution. And he said, wow, what's that, Dad? So I said, well, it's when you start to communicate and things kind of go south. It's what you do to turn it back around again. And so what hit me was, because he looked puzzled. I looked in the mirror, and he looked puzzled. And what hit me was last week I had a point that says, keep it clear, keep it simple, right, in our communication. And here I was confusing my son, Nick. So I decided to take a different approach. My niece and my nephew live right down the street from us. So I said, okay, Nick, has this ever happened to you where Ty comes over and you guys are trying to decide what to do, and you say, I want to play basketball, and he says, I want to play hockey. He said, yeah, 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 I I know what that's like, Dad. I said, well, that right there, Nick, is conflict. You want to do one thing, he wants to do another. I said, now, conflict resolution is what you did to finally figure out what you were going to do. That's what conflict resolution is, Nick. And I saw him, and, ah, okay, and, and that was it. You see, conflict is a normal part of life. Now, you may be thinking, well, you know, it kind of happens in the church a little bit, but as we mature as Christians, it, we don't see much of that. Well, that's not true. Uh, relational conflict has been around for a long time. And if you look at the Old Testament, If you look at Adam and Eve, the first married couple, they disagreed and they're having an argument over their sin and the reason for it. And their sons, Cain and Abel, they had an argument as well, and it landed on murder. And then you see floods and you see the herdsmen arguing with each other. Even in the New Testament, things are still that way, where you see the disciples arguing about who's going to be greatest in heaven. And then you see Paul having to write letters to the church because of the disunity that's going on. Strife and conflict have been around. We're not immune from it. It all affects us in one way. And if you really look at it, at the core of it, it does have to do with our sinful nature. It started in the Garden of Eden, and we still struggle with it today. Paul in Romans 7 says this, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. And if you read the rest of that chapter, you get a sense for the struggle that Paul is having. He knows what's right and what's good, but sometimes he has a struggle in translating that and doing that. He falls short. And I don't know about you, when I read that, I can relate to Paul's struggle. I can feel that conflict that he's feeling. Now, we could throw up our hands and say, well, great, we've got this sin thing going on. Why even work at it? There's no hope. But there is hope. If we read further in Romans 7, verse 24, it says, What a wretched man am I, and this is Paul speaking, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we should strive to do what is right, and when we fail or fall short of it, we'll experience the grace of Christ. 
And we can look to him to help make things right and to get them on the right path, even in our relationships. Because you see, interpersonal relationships and good interpersonal relationships begins with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we're intentional about that relationship and we're doing whatever it takes so that he can use us to do good for his kingdom, then we are changed and those around us are changed. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are getting and being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Bible records a history of conflict, but it doesn't condone it. Look at Proverbs. It's got so much. It tells us to hold our tongues, to talk gently, to listen before we speak, and not to gossip. And then Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament is littered with relational wisdom. You see, conflict may happen, but we choose our attitude and our response. The closer we get to one another, the more comfortable we feel. We may experience conflict just because we're starting to open up with one another. And when we do that, we start to realize and we start to see that, whoa, you're not like me. You're not exactly like me. You don't feel like me. You don't believe like me. And that's the time usually when we feel conflict. And conflict is usually destructive or threatening, or it can be. But it doesn't have to be that way. Larry Crabb wrote in his book, Safest Place on Earth, he says, the difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists, but it's rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, we have the makings of a spiritual community. In other words, it's how we handle conflict that determines the level of our spiritual maturity. The drawing on spiritual resources and yielding to Christ can have an impact on our attitudes and those around us. Conflict instead can be thought of as an invitation to grow, or perhaps it's going to signal approach of a new grace from God. It's how we approach conflict that determines the path that it may take. Now today, free of charge, what I want to do is share with you some surefire ways to turn a disagreement into an all-out feud, okay? And they come from the book, Tell It to a Church, by Ron Craybill. First thing he says is, be sure to develop and maintain a healthy fear of conflict, letting your own feelings build up so much that you're in an explosive frame of mind. Now that should get the other person to tense up. Then, if you must state your concerns, be as vague and general as possible. Then the other person has nothing to work with, nothing that they can do to change the situation. Or, assume you know all the facts and you're totally right. Grab a hold of a Bible verse, because it can be helpful. Speak prophetically for truth and justice and make sure that you do all of the talking. Now, if they haven't left by this point, then latch tenaciously onto whatever evidence you can find that shows that the other person's merely jealous of you. <laughs> and in conjunction with that, go ahead and judge the motivation of the other person on any previous experiences that showed failure or unkindness. 
Make sure you keep track of their angry words. And finally, if the discussion should get real serious, view it as a win-lose situation, avoid any solutions, and go for total victory and unconditional surrender. Now, we chuckle at these because perhaps we each have used a few of these little elements in our own conflicts. And we know that it's not the way to actually deal with conflict. We all have different temperaments, different personalities, and we deal with conflict in different ways. So I want to look at what our style is. What is your style? Do you tend to fight in the face of conflict? This is usually where we're all about defending ourselves, and it's about a goal. It's not about letting others, you know, we're sensitive about them liking us or accepting us. Not at all, because we know things get settled and things get done when people win. Winning feels good, and losing doesn't. But this can lead to pride. And the Bible says pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. What success have you had in responding to conflict this way? I know when I do this, it only maintains or escalates the conflict, sometimes leaving some damages behind. Now, you might not fight conflict, but perhaps you take flight in the face of conflict. Do you flee when there's conflict? And I'm not talking about fleeing for your emotional and physical safety because that makes sense. I'm talking about fleeing where you're working as much overtime as you can or that you're going to volunteer as much as possible only so that you don't have to head home to deal with conflict that may be brewing. You see, what we think when we're thinking about fleeing is it's easier to withdraw than it is to deal with the situation. I mean, I'd rather give up my goals and my relationships than to actually address the situation. I kind of feel hopeless, and so why even resolve them? But fleeing the situation only postpones the solutions. And sometimes it just makes the problem get worse and strains our relationships. And one other thing I should say, you know, sometimes it makes sense to flee the situation just so you can get some constructive thoughts together before you approach the person. But if that's not the case and you're just fleeing, we think that that time will give us a peace of mind and we're kind of free from thoughts. But usually it ends up being a breeding ground for anger and for bitterness. Now, perhaps you don't fight it, you don't take flight, but you do something more constructive, and that is you try to flow through conflict. When we do that, we don't view the conflict as negative or bad. We view it as neutral. It's not a battle to be won, or it's not a warning to end a relationship. With flowing through conflict, we're willing to work through the relationship by speaking the truth in love. And the benefit of that is the conflict gets resolved. We grow closer to the other person. And get this, we grow closer to Christ. In Ephesians 4, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is head, that is, Christ. And in 2 Corinthians before, I already read this, it says, being transformed into his likeness. Well, when we float through conflict, 
that's an opportunity for us to be transformed into his likeness. And it starts with making a choice, a choice about our attitude and our response to conflict. So how do we flow through conflict? And I want to go over a couple points here. And they're all based off of the passage that Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, the first thing we want to do is take the high road of love. If we want people to see Christ in us, and if we want to be continually transformed into Christ's image, then we need to be all about love and all about the relationships that we're having. There are very few conflicts that are worth ending a relationship over. Ask yourself this question. If you'd rather be right or you'd rather be in a loving relationship forever. And it all starts with us taking the initiative to go to the other person. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18, it says two things. It says, when you've wronged somebody, go to them. Then it says, when they've wronged you, you go to them. That seems unfair. I mean, I get it. When I, when I sin against you, I'll, I'll, I'll go deal with that. But if they do it to me, what? They should come to me. That's hard. But God's not asking us to do something that he hasn't done himself. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 4 says, Making every effort. And for some... When we take the initiative, that may mean by starting by saying, I need to forgive the person. Forgiving doesn't mean that we ignore what's been done or the consequences that have been caused. But what it does mean is that we will no longer allow it to be a barrier in our relationship with God, nor will we let it make us hold a grudge against the other person. Now, making every effort may not mean forgiveness for you, but it may mean that we have to get humble ourselves and start to reflect and look inside and look at our own shortcomings. I know that sometimes it's very easy for me to find the faults in other people. I may not say them, but I'm thinking them. And between God and me, what's the difference? He says in Luke 6.42, Christ says, How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye. When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take out the plank out of your eye, and then you'll see clear enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When we take the initiative and we go to that other person, we need to be sure that we're affirming them about the relationship and what that relationship means to us. And this is where we got to be careful about separating the behavior from the person. Because it will be very easy for us to look at that person and see all the wrong that they have done to us. And that's where we've got to separate that out and look at what their value and worth to God is. Because remember, everybody 
has value and worth to God. This is a tough teaching, and it's tough to love somebody this way. But we don't want to go at it alone. We want to lean on Christ. And it starts by taking the initiative. The initiative to seek the person out and to talk to them and be intentional about what we learned last week about communicating for connection. Because when we communicate to connect with another person, it helps us to focus on issues, not positions. And I should have put, helps us focus on an issue. When we start to have conflicts, lots of issues come out, don't they? We need to deal with them one at a time. If there's multiple of them, both agree that there's multiple, put them in a list and prioritize them. A lot of times, the issues that we feel go on at a different level than what we present them at. There's something totally different. A lot of times, it has to do with our perceptions and our fears. So what we need to do is state our fears and perceptions instead of positions and ultimatums. Kind of like this. If, if your spouse says, I want to go back to business school, instead of you saying, you're not going back to business school, we're not paying for that. Now, that's a position. But what may be going on down inside of the person is, why are they doing this? Are they doing it because our marriage isn't going well and they want to get equipped and then get a job and get financially stable? I'm nervous. I don't want to be alone. So instead of saying, we're not going to pay for college, instead say, and this is tough, I'm scared. Why are you doing this? I'm feeling like that if you do that, I may end up being by myself. That opens the door for the other person to say, no, 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 no. Here's why I want to do it. It gives them something to work with. When we just take a position, it holds back any progress that we might see. We should just reserve positions and ultimatums for the most critical situations. And one thing to be cautious here when we're starting to talk about options is not to bring back the past, to bring things, you know, the record, keeping record of what's going on. It's very easy to do that at this point. And that is like pouring gasoline on a fire. You just don't want to do that. As a matter of fact, we want to do what God instructed in Isaiah 43, 18. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Now, he said this when the Israelites were in Babylon and they were in captive there. And what they're remembering is when they were over in Egypt in the same situation. And they're remembering all the hiccup that came through there but they're remembering all the pain and the suffering that they had to go through. And God knew that, and he knew that if they kept looking at that, that they would fail to see what he's about to do at that moment. And that's what can happen when we just hold to a position. It prevents us from experiencing a breakthrough. We need to forget about the past and press forward we need to press forward brainstorming the options together. This is where together we throw out, okay, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this. But we all know it's very easy at this point to say, come on, why did you even throw that option out there? There's no way that can happen. Are you serious? Why'd you put that one on the list? That's not the time for this. That's only going to sidetrack us. Just throw out the options. Let them get on the table. And the verse to remember as you're going through this, the love verse. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4. 
I won't read it, but look at the traits. It says to be patient, to kind. Love is trusting. It protects. It doesn't keep wrongs. And as we face these conflicts and we're dealing with throwing out options and dealing with the other person, challenge yourself to live this verse. Once we have all the options thrown out there, some new ones, some creative ones, then that is the time to agree on a solution. That's the time when together we look at the options and you figure out which one it's going to be and how you're going to arrive at that. Now, with my son Nick and Ty, it may have been a coin toss. But in more serious problems, it may mean going to a wise friend and you both agree that what that person says in the end is what you're going to do. It may mean going to a mediator. But whatever it is, you both agree upon it. Now, it may not be equally satisfying, but there's power in it because we both agreed to it. I should have said from the start before we even talked about each one of these points, in order to flow through conflict, we need to be constantly and daily studying and applying Scripture in our lives. Not just when we get into conflict, but all the time. We've got to do as God instructed Joshua in 1.8. He says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Being obedient in this will help us understand and remember that God is bigger than our conflict. You see, God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He dealt with giants. He dealt with enemies. You see, and our first energies need to be directed at our relationship with him and connecting with him first because we need his perspective on what living a worthy life means and how to be humble and gentle as we flow through conflict together and how to be patient and loving interactions with others. May our desire be to pray through enough such that we are going by faith, not by sight. Where we view conflict as a small pebble in the hand of an almighty God. What are you doing about conflict in your life? Or what are you going to do when it comes? Are you walking in love? Is your attitude towards your brother a loving one? even though they may have done wrong to you, take the initiative and start flowing through conflict. Sarah Groves, who's a musician, has a wonderful song. It's on her album called The Other Side of Something. And it's a powerful song. It's called Roll to the Middle. And it gets at the heart of what we've been talking about. She says, we just had a World War III here in our kitchen. We both thought the meanest things, and then we both said them. We shot at each other till we lost ammunition. All the complicated wars, they end pretty simple. Here, when the lights go down, we roll to the middle. No matter how my pride resists, no matter how this wall feels so true, no matter how I can't be sure that you're going to roll towards me too, no matter what, I'm going to reach for you. In the face of sin, God rolled to the middle for us. He rolled all the way. Our part is accepting what he's done for us, accepting that solution. He didn't fight or flee from conflict. 
No, he took the high road of love. He took the initiative. He kept who we are to him in mind, not our shortcomings. He valued our relationship more than anything else, even that it was going to be the death of his son on the cross. And if it were about position, there would be no cross. God knew that the only solution had to come from him. And our part is agreeing on that solution.